just because you don't have a flowery, huge testimony where God picked you up out of a horrible pit. Uh, don't you worry about that because that's really not supposed to be the testimony that we have. We're all supposed to say, I was raised in a Christian environment. And so that's that's the way that's the ideal plan. And so uh, you can praise God and say, hey, praise God. I, I I don't know what it is to go into the depths of sin like some. So let's go to Ephesians and, and then you can praise God. And then uh, I, I heard one. One gal, uh, she she was in high school, and her her uh, female friends or girls in high school were ridiculing her and persecuting her for um, still being pure and not not being a party animal like so many of the teenagers are. And she said, "Listen, um, I can always uh, be what you are." She said, "But you can never be what I am." And she was she was really coming on strong, like, uh, you know, I, I'm glad for my purity and I'm glad I don't know what drugs are like. I'm glad. So tonight I'm not I'm not uh, aggrandizing a life of sin in, in any way. But there are are several walks of life. And listen, I don't care how anybody uh, got saved as long as they got saved. You know what I mean? Uh, some people got saved in different ways, like maybe they. They never had the uh, problem and the and the, and the terrible uh, brick walls that they kept running into and sorry and going to prison and losing uh, maybe uh, some of their uh, capability of bodily function. Maybe they're missing their hand. But Jesus said, whatever it takes, get saved. Amen. So uh, praise God if you didn't have a huge struggle. I, I didn't really have a big struggle. Um, although it took me 17 years to, to figure it out. So let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and rejoice tonight what God has done for us. He has uh, given us a new life. And if you remember back when you got saved, he did pick you up out of a horrible pit. He did take you from death to life. So let's look at it. It says in verse number 1, we're going to go... Uh, look at uh, the first 10 verses of chapter number 2. So in Ephesians it says, And you hath he quickened, that means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together, with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come, in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. It's amazing what God has done in all of our lives. So let's pray and ask God to reveal some wonderful truths to us tonight before we start another busy week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you now for this day. Thank you for the wonderful day we've had this morning. It is a true honor and a joy. Where you said where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. We know that you have promised us how big or how small makes no difference because you said where two or three are gathered. And so we gather tonight, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus. We're proud of Jesus Christ and we love him. And we ask God that you will bless us through Christ Jesus tonight. We pray that we would honor and exalt his name together in all that he has done for us. And uh, we praise the name of the Lord Jesus. We ask God that you would help us to get closer to him this week again and again. And bless our church and bless our people in Jesus' name. Amen. So it is the name of Jesus Christ that should be glorified. He's worthy of all honor and all glory. He did all the work necessary. But I want to remind you, no matter how good you thought your life was, no matter who, how good people think they are, when they get saved, they're saved from a condemnation of sin and hell. It doesn't matter how they were raised. If somebody needed to be saved, the, the end result would have been terrible. It would have been bad, and they did need to be saved. You see, salvation, uh, it's, it's not that some people almost need to get saved. It's not that some people, well, you know, another good thing that you could do for yourself as you have been uh, fed by the silver spoon all your life, or maybe your, your parents are great, upstanding folks. You see, no matter what kind of life you did have that was good, Salvation is not just another little blessing. It's not little cherry on top of the, uh, uh, the ice cream. It, it is devastating to think that good people would go to hell. But good people go to hell. Good, real good, upstanding people go straight to hell because they didn't believe in Jesus. So he said, he put it in a way that I think we can all understand it. No matter how people are, they're dead in sin without Christ. That's the key. And he says, you hath he quickened, in verse 1, who were dead. The day before I got saved, the day before you got saved, no matter what kind of life you led, you were dead. Because Jesus said, you must be born again. So that means the day, the moment you were born again, you look back on your life and you have to realize you were dead in sins and trespasses. You know, we, nev we must never glorify, though, the pit and the miry bog uh, where we were taken out of. We're not supposed to glorify that. It is true, though, we're supposed to remember it. The Bible says we should look back and remember what we were taken out of. So I want you to go to Isaiah chapter number 51 with me. You can hold your place there in Ephesians. But let's go to Isaiah chapter 51. And remember now, God instructs us. He tells us how to think about this wonderful thing called salvation. He tells us, this is what I'd like you to remember. This is what I want you to meditate on. This is what I want you to praise uh, me for. Let's look at uh, verse number one. God said through the prophet 
uh, Isaiah, Hearken unto me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. He says, Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. You notice that? You were earthly, sensual, devilish, dead, and God carved you out. Isn't it amazing, these, uh, these jewelers that go out into the desert? <coughs> they, <coughs> they can take a look at a rock structure, and they can say, ooh, there's, there's, there's going to be some agates in there. There's going to be some really beautiful diamonds in there. I don't know how they do it. I don't know what they look for. But those, those guys that go in, a, a geologist, you know, they can look at structures, and they can take samples of rocks and stuff, and they can tell you there's probably gold in there, and there's probably going to be some diamonds and rubies and agates and uh, different kinds of gems and expensive rocks. Maybe the, maybe the whole mountain's got a, a vein of, of, of uh, jade in it. I don't know. I just know this, that if you ever look at an agate, maybe opal, and there's some beautiful opals, on the outside of an opal, it looks terrible. It just looks like a rock that some kid would pick up and throw. But there's some people that understand that is what you want right there. Now, you chip that away and, and uh, you know, polish it, and you're going to find a, a beautiful uh, opal in there or an agate or something. And when God looks at us, you know, he looks at us that way. And he says, I want you to remember where that you were, you were dug out. You were, you were carved out. And, and God made you into what you are. And he says, hearken unto me. That means listen closely, ye that follow after righteousness. That's you and me. We follow after the Lord. Ye that seek the Lord. If you're looking for the Lord, you love God tonight. You remember what, what he did for you and uh, what he did to take you out of the pit that you used to be in. It's so important. We forget the work that God did. Now, Again, if, you're, if you live a Christian life in, in amongst your family, uh, don't be surprised if one day God says, I, know, I want you to remember what you were like before you got saved. Now, some, some kids, uh, young people, praise God, they don't have much of a remembrance of how it used to be, but they remember God speaking to their heart. I want to tell you a story about um, uh, Brother Dio's wife, Heather, and Jeanette, uh, one night, they came back from camp, and uh, <coughs> I'm not sure if it was the night, uh, maybe it was, I don't, was it the night we were giving testimonies, I think? It was so sweet. Uh, this must have been this four or five years ago now, maybe longer, right? Yeah, because you, you and Heather got baptized together. Five years ago, we were sitting, the whole church was all having a great night, and we were giving testimonies. The kids were coming up, and they went to camp, and they gave testimonies. And Heather was back there, and she said, I'd like to give a testimony. And uh, I called on her, and she began to tell how that for years she was too um, timid and too, too shy and too intimidated to, to say that she didn't really have assurance of her salvation. While she was sitting there with her parents, she said, I, I got saved recently, and I need to be baptized. And, their, and her parents were rejoicing. And then while she was talking with, I can't remember who, but I think what happened was that uh, 
Jeanette began to talk to my wife, and uh, Heather, her testimony affected Jeanette. Jeanette's testimony, uh, she started talking to us. Mom, I saw them all go out, and Jeanette got saved that night. And she received Christ as her Savior, and then both of them uh, were baptized. You know, they remember that. I'm glad they don't have bad memories. I'm glad they don't have to say, yeah, I was in a party and I was doing wrong. I'm glad they don't have that memory. Isn't that great to, to know that? So praise God for a good testimony. And praise God. But you're all supposed to remember the pit that God dug you out of. For me, it was a terrible teenage life of sin and normal chicanery, mischief, trouble, dirty language. Just all kinds of terrible things. But I'm glad I'm not going to glorify the pit. I'm going to glorify the Savior. Amen. He picked me up out of a horrible pit. Now let's go to uh, Psalm 40 and let's see this now. It's a wonderful psalm. I think everybody can relate to it. Psalm number 40. Let's all turn there in our Bibles. Psalm 40, verse number 1. Now, I, one through two, and I love this because I quote it often, but I never get tired of talking about my own salvation. And tonight, I want you to remember, God specializes in picking people up and doing something great with them. David said, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. Now you might say that one must have been a battle he was in. That must have been a time when he was uh, running from the Philistines. I don't know, but I know this. David could have been saved as a teenager. This could have been a testimony of how he felt. You know, it's okay uh, because a lot of people grow up in a religious home, don't they? Whether it's Baptist or Catholic or all different kinds of religions. A lot of people, there's a lot of religions in America and the world. A lot of people can grow up in a religion and be just as lost as a duck in a snowstorm or whatever in a snowstorm. You're lost. They're lost. They don't know. They don't know what to do. And that could have been the testimony of David's salvation right there. It's impossible for somebody to not know that they're saved eventually. You can struggle with it for a little while, but I'm glad that, that God specializes in picking people up. Now, the sad condition of Mephibosheth is something we'll look at tonight. If you'll turn with me, please, to uh, 2 Samuel chapter 4, I want to give you an illustration, a couple of illustrations of some people in the Bible that were literally picked up, and they couldn't do anything themselves, but it's really wonderful how God treats us, because I myself was picked up out of a life of sin, and uh, you were too if you're saved. God does that. He, he specializes in that. 2 Samuel, let's go to chapter 4. And verse number four, can you say Mephibosheth? 
Uh, you don't have to try it, but you should, uh, when you read it, this is a, a little boy. He was five years old. He was Jonathan's son. And uh, when the, the country was falling apart, uh, the Bible tells us that he fell. And he, he injured his leg somehow, or something happened to his spine. We don't know. But he couldn't walk anymore. He was only five years old. Think of a five-year-old little boy falling somehow. I don't know how far he fell, but he fell. He took a horrible fall, and it took his life, uh, took his life and cut it in half. Uh, he couldn't walk anymore. Now somebody had to carry him the rest of his life. And that's a sad thing. This five-year-old little boy, Mephibosheth, he must have been a cute little boy, just a fantastic little guy. He was innocent. It wasn't his fault, but he fell. Now, you and I, we're, we're kind of like Mephibosheth. It wasn't your fault that you were born into sin. You did sin, but it wasn't your fault you had the ability to sin. It wasn't your fault that you were prone to sin. It wasn't your fault that you were born into this world, a very wicked, sinful world. It just wasn't your fault. But when you accepted Christ, it was almost the same as somebody coming by and picking up Mephibosheth. Please look at with me in chapter 4, verse number 4. It says, uh, where's my chapter? There, there it is. And Jonathan, Jonathan was Saul's son, had a son that was lame on his feet, of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came to Saul and Jonathan out of Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. Now, we don't know if it was her fault. It doesn't really indicate that it was she who did it. It doesn't say that she dropped him. It said he fell. But no matter how it happened, he fell. And he became lame, and his name was Mephibosheth. So the covenant, the covenant was sealed with an oath by David and Jonathan. And why did Mephibosheth get spared? Remember, Jonathan and David made an agreement. Let's take a look at that, 1 Samuel chapter 20. Let's go back and see the promise that they made to each other as uh, they had a friendship. Their friendship was very strong. And uh, it, passed, it passed the love of some friendships that we know of today. They were very strong in their love for one another, their strong friendship. They made a pact. It's nice to have a best friend. I think everybody ought to try to have a best friend. Best friends are cool. They're wonderful. David and Jonathan were best friends. Look at chapter number 20, verse 14. And thou shalt not only while yet I live, Show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house, Jonathan says, forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the, the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again. Again, because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul. So David and Jonathan made an agreement together. 
And so then when David became king, uh, he saved Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. Jonathan was already dead. We mentioned that last week. But you know, Mephibosheth was a, um, a recipient of a whole lot of grace, wasn't he? Isn't it amazing how God's so good to us and we didn't even know him? Is God so wonderful to us and we didn't even realize we were lost? He, he, by grace, he gave us the truth. By grace, he told us our condition. By grace, he gave us the way out. By grace, he provided the way out. By grace, he picked us up. My goodness, uh, he picked us up out of a horrible pit and he set our feet on a solid rock, he established our going. Then he put a song in our heart, as we said this morning. Do you have a song in your heart? Are you glad you're saved tonight? Listen, let's not ever get complacent and let's not ever get bored with the fact that we have been quickened, as the Bible says. We have been made alive. But look at 2 Samuel chapter 9 with me now. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Was this just something where David said, okay, uh, I won't kill you? No, 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 no. Watch this now. God doesn't treat people like that. God doesn't just save people and then say, okay, you're on your own. <laughs> he, he guides us, doesn't he? And then he's going to take us home. Look at uh, chapter number 9, verse 13. 2 Samuel 9 and 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he did eat continually at the king's table. And was lame on both his feet. Somebody had to take him to dinner. Somebody had to pick him up and take him to lunch. Somebody had to take him to supper, dinner, lunch, whatever you call it. Somebody had to wake him up and carry him to breakfast. And every time the king, David, was eating, he always had Mephibosheth at his table. He got to eat every meal with the king. Hallelujah. That's what you and I have. We have the Lord Jesus. He, he picked us up, he saved us, and he carries us. As I said, there was a message long, not too long ago. We talked about how God carries us. And, you know, we, you and I are just like Mephibosheth. Did you know that? We were lame. How many know somebody really lame? I mean, they're just lame. No, no. Uh, that's, a, that's a statement in kid. Boy, did you like that? No, that's a lame movie. That's lame. Uh, this word lame is very serious when it comes to Mephibosheth. Couldn't walk. He was lame on his feet, both feet. He couldn't do it. And God carried him. Aren't you glad that David had so much compassion on him? He took him to his table and ate all of his meals continually, the Bible says. Isn't that what he said? Look at verse 13. For he did eat continually at the king's table. I'm glad every day. I can take this Bible and I can feast on the Word of God. I can eat the words out of this book. Jeremiah said, Thy word was found and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart, for I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. The Bible says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You and I got saved. He were, we were picked up out of the pit. And now we can feast at the table of the Lord. And I can eat any old snack I want. Uh, I have a rule of my house. If it's in the refrigerator and it's not marked with somebody's name, it's mine. That's the way the Shaver house runs. 
If you don't put your name on it, I'm probably going to eat it. And I told, oh, listen, when, when, when all of our adult kids, especially Jason, and let's see, who else was upset with me for a while? Jeannie used to get upset with me. She was living, and George would get upset with me a little bit. And they'd say, where is my such and such? It was in the refrigerator. Dad. <laughs> yep, I ate it. Uh, next time you want something, either mark it or don't put it in there. But, um, no, I'm not, that, I'm not that bad. I really am. But there's some really good stuff that they didn't mark. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know where I got off on that, but, man, it's like, hey, you know what? Continually at David's table, I can feast any way I want to. I can eat a chapter, a verse. I can meditate on I can chew like a cow, chew the cud on one verse over and over and over. When I was in college, you know what they made us do? They made us memorize Scripture. You had to memorize Scripture as an adult. And some of the guys were, oh, 17, 18 years old. I'm sure Israel's doing that now. He's probably memorizing Scripture. But in our day, we had to memorize a Scripture. And then we had to do this. We had to uh, write it out, word perfect, jot, tittle, uh, all the punctuation. If you missed one period on the paper, it was minus one. Okay. If you missed another, that was minus uh Five, you got ten points per verse, and if you miss three, you got minus ten, failed. And it was so nerve-wracking, because you had to not only know the verse, you needed to write it on a piece of paper, and then you couldn't grade your own paper. You had to pass it to your buddies, and they took their Bible out and went word perfect for word, perfect letter punctuation. And then if you made three mistakes with that, you throw it out. That, that really taught us something. This Bible is important, and you have to know it. And if you ever memorize Scripture, that's a good way to do it. Want to have a fight between your spouse? Then trade papers and grade each other's papers. Just a little, little family stuff there, amen. Uh, uh, challenge somebody, memorize Scripture, and then grade it. Uh, don't grade your own paper. It just doesn't work. You're too easy on yourself. Amen? Oh, all I did was forget a little uh, period. Oh, just a comma here. Hey, no, 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 no. Listen, learn the Bible and and memorize the Scripture because it feeds your soul. So Mephibosheth is at the king's table and praise God for it. Now let's take another uh, instance in John chapter 4. God specializes in picking people up out of the pit. If you know somebody that needs to be saved, don't be surprised if their life is uh, kind of shot to pieces and maybe upset. Don't be surprised at people that are uh, down and out. Don't be surprised at that. Don't, don't be surprised when people fall into sin. Don't, don't be all shocked that people live a, a bad life. Don't, don't let that uh, take you and uh, surprise you because that's what people do. People are sinners and people need to be saved. So don't be too, too uh, shocked when people have a ruined life. But Jesus, he specializes in picking people up and he specializes in making people alive that used to be dead. Uh, remember Lazarus, don't you? Remember what happened to him? Well, he, he, he was uh, actually resurrected 
before the main resurrection. She had to die twice. Actually, that second death is, is not the one Jesus talked about. He died once, and then he was resurrected. And then, you know, Jesus in John 35, uh, uh, John uh, 11, 1135, he, he wept. You know why he wept? Because I think maybe he knew Lazarus had to go through some more life and have another death. I don't know why he's crying. We'll find out. But I know one thing. I know one thing. Lazarus is pretty happy right now because he came from death to life. And that's what's going to happen to us. So salvation. John 4, verse number 5. John 4 and verse 5. Now, then, then Jesus, he come, cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. By the way, this is enemy territory near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. She was a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jews. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to buy uh, to the city to buy meat. Then said the, saith the woman of Samaria, Watch this now unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. How did she know Jesus was a Jew? She never met him before. Obviously there was a difference in costume or clothing or attitude. I don't know, but she, she knew he was a Jew and she was a Samaritan, so there was a, there was a big break there. She was dead. He was alive. She was dead in her sins. And verse number 10 says, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked him of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children's cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Look what he said right away. What? This is a shock. He went from living water and, and offering her right to her heart, didn't he? Watch. Verse 16. Look at the quickness of the change of, uh, of subject matter. Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come here. Come hither. Isn't that great? She had five husbands. And the one she was with was not her husband. You know what that proves? Just because people live together don't mean they're married. Is that right? That's right. Jesus said it right there. doesn't mean they were married. So I don't care what the society says. People need to get married or they're not married. <laughs> That's the way it is. Jesus said it. And he went right to her heart. And aren't you glad that Jesus did that? Because, you know, uh, she had to come to the honest 
realization that she was a sinner. Well, that's what Jesus is specializing in. He takes our sin, he knows about it, and he lifts us up out of it. And he lifted her up out of that pit, that miry pit, that adulterous situation, uh, that fornication situation, lifted her up out of it. The woman, verse 17, answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou know now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. You know what I like about that? What I like about that, Jesus never had to do that. He performed a little miracle in her life, and the only one that knew that, that it was a miracle, of course, out of anybody that might have heard the story, she knew that he knew. Isn't that amazing how you and I, we have a Savior that knows us personally, don't we? And he, he wants to lift us up out of anything. And she got lifted up. She got saved. She got born again right there on the spot. She drank that living water. She went into the city. And uh, would you turn with me to verse 39 now? It says, And many, many of the Samaritans of that city, of the city, believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified. And he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and abode there two days, and many more believed because of his word. Aren't you glad, aren't you glad he saved that woman? Isn't that a wonderful thing he did for her? And if she didn't get saved, who knows who would not be saved in that city. I'm glad that she got saved. Jesus is, is, he is wonderful at lifting people up. We have Mephibosheth. We have the woman at the well. Time would fail me to remind you about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross was going to hell. He was on his way to hell. He didn't have anything to do. He could not fix it. He couldn't save himself. All of his plea bargains were done. He was convicted, condemned, and in the execution throes of his death, and Jesus saved him. There's so much doctrine wrapped around the thief on the cross. Those three crosses there, you can find so much doctrine and so many wonderful things to teach people. Uh, and so the, the greatest thing is that Jesus saved him. That's the greatest thing that Jesus did took him to paradise the very day he died. But you know what else? There's another man named Paul. And I want you to remember Paul. He was not worthy. He was causing uh, terrible havoc on the church. He's not meet to be an apostle. But you know Jesus, in his mercy, you know what he did to the apostle Paul? He saved him on the road to Damascus. He took the worst religious hypocrite of all, all of them and saved him. Now, he did receive Christ as his Savior. Look at Philippians chapter 3 for just a minute. Philippians chapter 3. Let's, let's hear it from the Apostle Paul, how he felt about it. Ephesians, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 3. And there's more in First uh, and Second Timothy about it. Uh, he, 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 he's just amazed. He, he was injurious. He persecuted the church. He did all kinds of things wrong. If there's one person that shouldn't have been saved, it was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul said he blasphemed and he persecuted. 
So he had a he had a horrible mouth on him about the Lord. God forgave him of the whole thing, saved him, made him an apostle, gave him prophecy. And Philippians chapter three verse eight, or excuse me, one through eight says, "Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord." I, I rejoice in the Lord to write the same things unto you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware, oh, excuse me, yeah, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, for we are the uh, we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Oh, he was a religious perfectionist. He was very strict. By the way, one of the most evil religions in this world is the strictness of the Hasidic Jews to this day. They put such a burden on people. It is so crazy. It is, it is un, uh, unreasonable. It's the way they treat women, the way the things they put on people is absolutely uh, akin to child abuse. The way they make their daughters live, it is absolutely horrible, uh, the strictness and, and the things they make their, their families do, and it's all because they don't know Jesus. I'm glad I'm not under the old law. How about you? You know, the old law is bad enough by itself, but now it's all twisted and corrupted. It doesn't make any sense anymore because they've taken the old law and they've twisted it and turned it and put new stuff on it, and by the time, by the time anybody uh, hopefully gets out of a Hasidic family today, they are a confused mess. You pray for those Jews that are Hasidic Jews. I love the Jews, but the religion is a dead, dead, dead religion. It's not supposed to be practiced. Not the way they do it. And you know, Jesus took Paul out of that. He was dead in sins and trespasses, and now he's alive. Praise God for that. Let's go back to Ephesians, and we're going to finish up tonight. Tonight? Think about this as we read this, how that God picked us up out of a death sentence, out of condemnation. I don't think that if I if I tried, I could find out any reason God should have saved me. I got no idea why God should have saved me other than the fact you just love me. Isn't that right? You, 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 we should all feel that 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 sense of humility that says, how in the world did I ever get this life? How in the world did I ever get this Bible? How in the world did I ever hear about Jesus? What a grace that God showered upon us just to tell us about himself. Think about that. Think about how that God told you about himself. That is amazing. And we should be thankful. <clears throat> and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. 
Not only that, but he's got something for us to do. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I like being a Christian. It's fun. I'm glad I'm a Christian. I, uh, I enjoy it. I don't know what God has for all of us. I don't know uh, how to consult God. I don't think he needs consultation. I don't know how to direct God because he needs no direction. I don't know how to correct God because he needs no correction. I do know how to enjoy him. I do know how to receive the things that he has for me. I do know how to really be amazed. And the more I look into the Bible, the more amazed I am that after all these years, he still, still has secured my soul and I can't lose it. And no matter what happens, by the way, somebody says, you Christians, you think you can do anything and you still go to heaven. That's right. That's exactly right. Yes, sir, you can. You're not going to be happy about it, but you can die early if you want to. You know, you're not going to be too happy. You might get there a lot earlier than you should have, but you're going to get there because God, he, he, he keeps his word. He always keeps his word. He, he has secured us in the beloved. We have a citizenship that's already marked down in heaven like Brother Carlson said this morning in Sunday school, we're already citizens of another country. We already have a place secured for us. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I just hope that I'm not like that guy that went to heaven and uh, he, he got up to St. Peter and St. Peter had the job of showing everybody their mansions. You've heard this before. And he went by the street and the, the, the guy was uh, just enthralled, all these beautiful homes and mansions. And he said, who lives there? And Peter said, oh, that's the Apostle Paul's house. And he said, wow, that's huge. That's wonderful. That's beautiful. Look at that mansion. Went down a little way and he said, who lives there? Oh, that's Moses' house. And he said, my goodness, look at that. And they came to the end of the street, you know, and there was this little wooden shack with cedar shingles on it. Had a little smokestack coming up and the door was crooked. And he said, who lives there? And Peter said, that's your house. <laughs> he said, well, how come, how, come, how, come, how come that's my house? He said, you never sent anything up here for us to build your house with. I'll tell you what, we need, we need to give to God. We need to serve him. We need to lay our treasures in heaven. Oh, yeah, you'll get there. <laughs> But uh, you'll have to come over to my house because it's got carpet. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We're gonna have a great time. We're gonna have. I, you know what I want? I tell you what I want. In my mansion. I tell you, I want the most beautiful, incredible manicured golf course in my backyard, with a pool and a gun range. You know, just all kinds of cool stuff. Let's bow our heads for prayer. I don't know what God has for us. Nobody does. I know that he has picked us up out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay. He set our feet upon a rock, established our goings, and we should be praising God so many can hear.